For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three stakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Fellow Falcoholics, what is up? Welcome to episode 213 of the Falcoholic Live. I am your host, Kevin Knight at Falcoholic Kevin, joined by a very special guest on the show today. He is Aaron Freeman at FalcFans, host of the Locked On Falcons podcast, contributor also at the wonderful thefalcoholic.com. Aaron, thanks for coming on once again. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I uh, rejected coming on last week. Because uh, I didn't want to come on after a win, and unfortunately for my negativity, the Falcons won again. So I have to say positive things about the Falcons this week. I know it, it just—I know it really hurts you. Um, you know, just like we're all—we're all just the biggest haters here that we only do this for those sweet, sweet podcast bucks. So um, <laughs> you know, that's the only reason. Yeah. Yeah, you don't even pay us that much. Uh, that's what I, that's that's what the comments are the the strangest part. It's like, what do you if you knew what I make, you would not say that I'm you know just here for the money. Um, I think anybody that works in this business is probably not here for the money unless you're on like ESPN, like Eric or something. Um, you know, he's he's just left this all behind with his you know high high and mighty you know ESPN job now. But as you guys can see, as always, joining us Adnan Ikic at Say Which Way Adnan. How are you on this fine Wednesday evening? I'm doing well. You know, uh, very excited about a win. I couldn't come on last week to talk about the Seahawks uh, victory, but, you know, that was a good one and uh, another fun game. It's always fun to win. Uh, First time the team's been 2-2 since the last time they made the playoffs. You know, is that a sign of things to come? I I don't think so. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, it's, uh, it's exciting. It's exciting. I'm 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 pumped up. I watched that Arthur Smith mic'd up video that the team put out, and you know it had me had me ready to run through a brick wall. So, you know I'm I'm here for it. Yeah, yeah. It's always nice to uh, have a win here. We don't know how many of these we're gonna get. Obviously, it's nice to start out with two. Uh, being two and two at this point is important for the Falcons' potential playoff hopes. Uh, some, I know, are much higher on that possibility than others. And potential uh, title hopes. Yes, I know. Well, you know, if you predicted the Falcons would be playing for the division, you know, the Week 5 division title in Week 5, uh, then, you're gonna, you're, then you're dead on because they are playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who are also 2-2, two and two, and the winner of that game will take sole possession of first place in the NFC South. Uh 
which it's it's interesting that the Falcons are in contention for that. Um, we'll definitely talk about that and their their surprisingly good start to the season, not just in the win loss column, but uh, statistically speaking, this is a much better start than last year. So we should give them their credit for that. We'll also talk about uh, some of the challenges they're going to face right over the next three games. It's a very difficult stretch, but then they'll have a uh, an, a much easier stretch after that where they could potentially, if you're high on the team, uh, make up ground. And, uh, of course, before we get to all that long-term stuff, though, we're going to talk about the Falcons' Week 4 victory over the Browns, where they absolutely dominated up front uh, with the run game. And we also got to see, of course, clutch plays from Grady Jarrett, that beautiful man, and also, uh, I think, some good play from a couple other players that we'll touch on. Uh, Before we get to all that stuff, guys, again, thank you for tuning in. Like and subscribe, all that good stuff. If you have any questions you need us to answer, streamlabs.com slash thefalcoholic slash tip. We will answer those questions. Of course, we'll try to get to stuff in the chat as much as we can as well. Um, But yeah, let's let's start off with the news today. Uh, There's a couple of notes in terms of injuries and also some roster shuffling. Um, First of all, the big... News, uh, Isaiah Oliver, designated to return off IR, did apparently practice in some capacity today. Uh, potentially big addition coming back. Aaron, as the special guest, you get to, to take the first commentary here. Uh, do you think there's a chance Oliver could play this week? And how big of a uh, boost to the defense would he be at this point? Yeah, I think there's there's got to be a chance. You know, I, I think the way the rules work is there's like a... 21 day window so there's no it's not necessary that he has to play this week just because he's back at practice right basically he can can get a little bit of runway uh before he has to play so if he needs like two full weeks of practice then he can get that uh but certainly you know you hoped at the end of the summer when you saw him in that preseason finale that he was close to being 100 and then it was kind of a little bit of a shocker that he went on IR and we missed him for four weeks. And so I think if the Falcons can get him back, you know, whether it's this weekend or, or next weekend, I think it will be a big boost uh, for this team moving forward. Obviously the Bucks have a bevy of weapons uh, in which they can throw to. Uh, I don't know exactly who they are because they always seem to be one guy injured each and every week. Um, I, I know Mike Evans is healthy because he's on my yeah. team. So that, that's the one thing that really matters to me. But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, I think getting Oliver back will will certainly be a big boost. I think Mike Ford and D. Alford have done uh, good work in, in his stead. Obviously, Alford had the big play at the end of the Browns game uh, that sort of sealed that victory. Uh, but I, I certainly think, you know, you might be able to get a little bit steadier presence from Oliver and, and allowing Dean Pease to do a lot of the sort of disguise stuff that he likes to do in the secondary, which he hasn't done a lot of this year compared to previous year. And maybe that is due uh, to not having that trusted gun in, in Isaiah Oliver back there. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think, I think Oliver brings you a more physical presence. He's going to offer you a little bit. Cause I think D Alford in coverage in particular has been good. Um, the ball hawking that he provides and he's been sticky, but as a guy that's like 5'10", 175, never someone that's going to be a huge impact player against the run. I certainly don't think he's like a poor tackler or anything, but you're just, he's not moving the pile when, a, when the tight end's coming at him um, or, or an offensive lineman. So I think that the Falcons probably like the, the size and, you know, proven ability of, of Isaiah Oliver as a blitzer uh, over Alford's coverage. And, you know, we saw Oliver, 
played pretty darn well uh, in that four-game stretch in 2021. So obviously the hope is that he could be back healthy. Anna, what do you think about uh, Oliver's return? Do you expect to see him out there this weekend? Um, maybe this, if not this weekend, then probably next. But no, I'm very excited. Um, I I would think that they will, uh, if he does play this week, uh, I think that they'll at the very least ease him back into it. Because uh, you know he hasn't played in in a year, but remember before his uh, his injury last season, which ended his season, he was he was having a career year. Uh, I think he really found his home in that slot cornerback spot. Um, he struggled a bit uh, in that outside cornerback spot, but you know he really found his niche in in the NFL. And you know I'm I would love for him to give the Falcons that kind of production again. Um, we we obviously don't know when it comes to, you know, knee injuries like this, how how fast he's going to, you know, get back into form after coming back. But, you know, it's always, it's always good to see someone fight back from injury. And, you know, it was, you know, it was a shame to lose him last year. I think, I think that was a big blow to the Falcons defense and, you know, it'll just be it'll just be a, a great enhancement to have him back in that in that position where he was in last season, where he had so much success. Uh, and yeah, I I can't wait to see him back out on the field. First and foremost, for him personally, um, I'm really glad that he he could fight back from this. Uh, and now it's all about overcoming that mental hurdle of having having such a long term injury that. So many players will tell you about, you know, we know about the physical stuff, but, you know, it, it's about him getting back to that position of, oh, uh, I can make this tackle again without being apprehensive, without being hesitant that I'm going to, you know, hurt myself, especially playing on turf where that Mercedes-Benz uh, Stadium is. But, yeah, I can't I can't wait to see him back out there for the team. Yeah, me too. Um, I think I think his addition could be a big one. And it's it's interesting. I, I they've rotated a lot at that slot position, and I do wonder if that's because they they like you know D. Alford's coverage, but they would rather have Mike Ford's run stuffing, or you know they even had Eric Harrison there against the Rams. Um, and I wonder if having Oliver back sort of makes it so they don't have to rotate as much. I mean, I'm sure they'll obviously they'll play dime sometimes and stuff like that, and they'll bring an extra DB out there, but. Um, I wonder if the stability of possibly having Oliver playing a much larger role, like like fifty plus snaps, um, if that helps the defense in terms of their communication and, and helps everything get sort of settled a little bit more. Um, you know, who knows if that is actually part of the issue or if it's been other things. But uh, it, particularly in zone, there just seems to have been there's a lot of coverage busts, and I don't know. I'm looking for any excuse I can. Uh, to try to figure out what exactly is going on there. I mean, obviously the Falcons, you know, pass rush isn't great. It's certainly been better than last year, but um, I do wonder if Oliver's presence could bring some stability and consistency to that secondary that they haven't had as much of, I think, as uh, as much as maybe we'd hoped going into the season. Um, despite the fact that D. Alford, I think, has been one of the real unearthed gems that they've found this year. Um, I, I think there's definitely something there even though uh like i said his size is somewhat of a limiting factor i think he's clearly good enough to play in the nfl like 
you know, as a depth piece at worst. Um, so I'm excited to see how he continues to develop as well. Um, the other player uh, roster move, Falcons finally signed my draft crush from 2017, Jaleel Johnson, the defensive tackle. Uh, he eluded the team for five years, but he's finally in Atlanta on the practice squad. The team needed to replace Kairis Tonga, the nose tackle who was signed away by the Vikings, uh, somewhat coincidentally. Jaleel Johnson was drafted by the Vikings back in 2017, so a little the revenge, even though he wasn't, you know, on the Vikings right now. But um, yeah, Adnan, any any thoughts on Johnson? Um, any any interest at all there? Do you think it's sort of just uh, more more rotational bodies for this defensive line that kind of desperately needs them at this point? I definitely think it's rotational, um, but you know, it's nice to have someone with. NFL experience, uh, ready to be elevated. Uh, if there is an injury, if there is something that, you know, unexpected that happens moving forward, uh, Jaleel Johnson has what five years of NFL experience. He had a season in 2020 where he started all 16 games, uh, for the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, he was with, uh, with the Houston Texans for the majority of the season playing in the majority of the season last year. Um, so, yeah, it's it's definitely one of those moves where in the short term, if something happens to one, one of your defensive line pieces, um, you you can rest assured that he'll be able to cover it at, at the very least for, for a game or two. So, you know, I'm, I'm always all for having, having a veteran presence uh, in the practice squad and in the team if if and when it's needed and you know it's a long NFL season injuries happen so uh so it, it's a signing that I like to see yeah yeah I mean I certainly like him coming out um and we've seen guys come off the practice squad and and actually get graduated to the roster with like Abdullah Anderson who's become like an actual kind of core rotational piece and I think acquitted himself, acquitted himself pretty well um so far but yeah, Aaron, you got any Jaleel Johnson takes from back in the 2017 draft for us? Yeah, I know a lot of people were very high on him. Our, our good friend Charles McDonald was very high on him back then. Um, and, you know, what was interesting about Johnson is he kind of got lost in the shuffle in Minnesota for a couple of years there and barely kind of played those first couple of years. And then, uh, you know, seemed to figure things out by the end, but probably not to the degree that I think they envisioned to be able to give him a second contract there. Uh, and he's kind of just bounced around the league the last couple of years. So piggybacking on what Adnan said, I, I think it's valuable to have uh, someone on the practice squad, someone ready to go that's played in the NFL and contributed in the NFL in the event of an injury. Um, but, uh, you know, I think Rush and, and Abdullah Anderson have done good work uh, so far this season. And hopefully, you know, the Falcons won't need Jaleel Johnson as those guys continue to provide that sort of physical presence in the middle of the defensive line. And you, you got Grady Jarrett and you got Taquan Graham coming on really strong. So this defensive line looks a lot better today than I thought it was. I thought it was going to be a major liability, major weakness heading into the season. And I've liked what I've seen from that group so far. I wish we could get a little bit more from Timmy Horn at this point in time, but you know, maybe uh, that's an opportunity for someone like Marlon Davidson uh, to potentially come back in the next couple of weeks and, and maybe push him a little bit. So we'll see how that goes. But I think adding Johnson, certainly getting more bodies into that room certainly isn't going to hurt the Falcons. Yeah, I agree. I I like Johnson a lot. I think that um, certainly he's sort of shown himself to be more of a rotational player than like a high-end starter like a lot of us hoped. And um, 
I remember that combine workout just really disappointing to a lot of people. And that's part of the reason why I think he was like a day two projection for a while. And then had that like one, eight, seven, uh, RAS score posted, uh, ran like a four or five, four or something like that. In the 40 reps on the bench. Yeah. And, uh, that sort of tanked his stock into day three, but, um, I think he's, he's shown that he's certainly capable um, I think he's had some solid production in like a limited role over the years. So a guy that's a veteran presence knows what he's doing. Um, you know, he, he I think he had a, he had a pretty good 2019, um, three and a half sacks, five tackles for loss. Uh, what was the pressure rate? I think he had, uh, six pressures as well. Um, and he's always been a very good run defender, like very low missed tackle rate. Um, so and, you know, those stats on just 400 snaps also in 2019. So he's shown he can be effective, um, good size too. So I like him. Um, you know, I wonder if we'll ever get to see him. If everyone stays healthy, maybe not. Or like Aaron said, perhaps pushing Timmy Horn um, a little bit as another like bigger defensive tackle. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with what Aaron said. And that's sort of a good segue into talking about week four and sort of this first quarter of the Falcons uh, season as a whole because the defensive line I think has been an unexpected bright spot um it, it's I think getting the contributions they have from we mentioned Abdullah Anderson um who hasn't been like a flashy player but as a basically like a, a mid training camp signing coming out and playing a role um and and not being a liability uh that's always nice and then you've got Taquan Graham, who I think has been the most pleasant surprise so far on the defensive line. Um, Grady Jarrett obviously being amazing helps as well. So I think, and I think you, you like what you've seen from the young edge rushers too, uh, particularly Arnold Abikati, who had a strong, strong game, even though didn't blow up the stat sheet this week. Um, I think he's earning and, and taking more and more snaps away from Ade Ogundeji, who I would say has probably been the most disappointing of all the edge rushers so far. And Lorenzo Carter, I remember before the season, I said Lorenzo Carter will play the most snaps of any defensive lineman slash, you know, outside linebacker edge type. And I think that has definitely come true. And I think he played 97% of snaps against the Browns or something like that. Some crazy high numbers. So they're almost treating him like a linebacker that doesn't leave the field, uh, which I think is a good fit for him. But um yeah, Aaron, I'll, I'll go to you first. Uh, who are some of the, the defensive linemen that have like stood out to you so far, both in week four and sort of the first quarter of the season? Yeah, uh, Taquan Graham is one, as I mentioned earlier, and you just mentioned uh, I put out a highlight clip of his from uh, the Browns ga- game uh, on my Twitter so people could check that out if they haven't already. Um, and, you know, he's he's been a pleasant surprise. I think the thing about Graham that really stands out is how powerful he is. Um, And I'm going to compare him to a player that didn't quite live up to expectations here in Atlanta, but we did see flashes of it. And uh, that's Rashid Hageman. And if you just kind of think back of that Super Bowl run where Hageman kind of got a bigger uh, run of plays after Adrian Claiborne's injury, and you started to see him make some of those impact plays down the stretch for the team, like that's kind of what Graham has been in my eyes, sort of using that strength and just kind of overwhelming offensive linemen, not particularly technically savvy or anything you're not seeing any real pass rush moves he's just kind of bullying guys and uh that kind of reminds me a little bit of Hageman and hopefully you know Graham can continue to build off of that which we never saw uh from Hageman and, and be more of that 
uh, all-around player. He's certainly a force in the run game. Uh, and he, we, we, I think he's leading the team in hits, although he, uh, he hasn't quite gotten uh, a sack yet. Uh, so hopefully those will come. Um, but, yeah, I think that defensive line, you know, obviously Grady Jarrett's made sort of the impact plays at the end of, of the last two games against Seattle and uh, Cleveland. So those guys have standed out for me. Carter is another guy that stood out to me. Epichetti had a, a really strong game. So I like the direction of this front. Things are, are looking up. You know, the thing about Ebiketti for me is like he got like six pressures against the Browns. And a lot of it was just kind of like coverage, uh, you know, good coverage leading him getting more time to get to the quarterback or like a play action play where he was kind of unblocked off the edge and harassing Jacoby Brissett. But one of the things that stood out to me in the Browns game was like he tried to pop off a spin move. It didn't really work. I think it was against Jack Conklin. But I like the fact that he's like trying different things. You know, Abiketti was a real technical pass rusher at Penn State. Um, and I like the fact that he's like trying to do different moves and whatnot rather than just basically I'm, I'm a speed guy or I'm a power guy, which, you know, former Falcons high round pass rushers uh, were a little bit to one note uh, in that regard. Uh, but, you know, I think Ebiketti, you're starting to see some progress from him. And hopefully you'll start to see more plays like we saw in that week one game where he got that first sack uh, moving forward. So I like where this front is heading. It's it's not where we, we need it to be in order to, to provide that reliable pressure, uh, you know, down in and down out. But certainly they've been able to close out some games these last couple of weeks. And, you know, we'll we'll take what we can get at this point. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Uh, I'll elaborate some more on that, but I wanted to give Adnan a chance to weigh in too. Adnan, what do you think about the performance of like the defensive line, the edge rushers so far? Has that been better than you were expecting going into the the first quarter of the season? Yeah, it's uh, it's been a pleasant surprise. I mean, remember last season, this team was you know so far last when it come when it came to quarterback hit sacks that it was like that scene from Moneyball. It's like, oh, yeah, there's, like, you know, good teams that are have a lot of sacks, and there's, like, four teams, and there's, like, 50 feet of shit. And then there was the Pelicans <laughs> having, what, 17 sacks uh, on the season where even if you doubled it, uh, they would have been – or 18 sacks, excuse me. Even if you doubled that number, I think they would have still been bottom 10. So, you know, this season it was – it's been nice seeing that that pressure and you know it's very it makes you very hopeful because yeah Grady Jarrett's doing it like Grady Jarrett is doing Grady Jarrett things uh he has come up with a couple of super timely sacks the past couple of weeks to just shut down the advances of the Seahawks and the Browns and to pretty much end their hopes because it was the same formula final drive Falcons uh Falcons are winning Grady Jarrett gets a sack, very next play, uh, interception, game is over, more or less. Um, but then beyond that, the Falcons have so much young talent on this team uh, that you're, you know, really, you know, very hopeful for and very excited about. Um, Aaron mentioned Taquan Graham, who looks like he is Grady Jarrett's partner in crime at this point. He has taken that... Um, that one technique role, that starting defensive tackle role, uh, or the defensive tackle role next to Grady Jarrett for the majority of the game role, and he's pretty much run with it. Um, I think uh, Baldinger uh, on Twitter, Brian Baldinger, had a, a breakdown on Taquan Graham, 
which was really cool to see. Uh, just going in two minutes, uh, just talking about all the great stuff that he saw from Taekwon Graham the past game, uh, which is, you know, great because it, it, that's the kind of stuff that'll, you know, make Graham a bit more known in the mainstream. Um, but, you know, beyond that, uh, we mentioned Abdullah, or Kevin, you mentioned Abdullah Anderson a, a bit earlier. He's been a pleasant surprise as a, a rotational piece. D'Angelo Malone uh, had a couple of really nice plays last game. You know, it, it's all these young guys where you're so excited to see them, you know, getting their chances. And uh, this is admittedly a, tra- uh, a transitional year. Um, well, coming into the season, we looked at it as a transitional year. And, you know, this is it, it's so exciting seeing some of these building blocks being cemented in and put in from uh, a foundational standpoint from the very beginning, because I, I recall during the Mike Smith era, um, you know, even when this team was bad, we were just screaming for him to put in some of these young players like, you know, the uh, Jonathan Massaqua and uh, it was <laughs> Stanley Mipanga at one point. Uh, you know, shout out to about a decade ago. Um, but it, it's really cool when, you know, you're getting results. And like Aaron said, this is by no means a, a finished product for the Falcons. This isn't where they want to end up, but it's a good starting point. You know, we still need to see more. We still need to bring in more pieces and we still need to keep building uh, and keep organically growing as, uh, you know, as time goes by. But it's so exciting to see you know, that great start and to see some of that success with these really young guys uh, who, you know, you're hoping will be with the organization for years to come. Um, And, you know, I'm just really excited. The Falcons came into this season as what the second youngest team in the NFL. And, you know, so far so good. Uh, These young guys have been uh, up to the task. The teams look very fun. The teams won a couple of games best start since 2017 like I mentioned and you know it, it's it's no different from the defensive line it's it's I'm really excited to see some of these young guys continue to grow and you know continue to keep doing what they're doing next to the veterans like Brady Jarrett who really in all honesty has never had much help around him in years past yeah I think uh it's it's been something we've like clamored for for as long as I can remember, like trying to like, please get this man some help. And it's not for a lack of trying. I mean, they haven't drafted a, a lot of interior guys. I mean, they, they sort of whiffed, uh, obviously, uh, like the Hageman thing sort of fell apart. Probably. More for off, yeah. More for off field reasons. Uh, Marlon Davidson. Um, man, I can't even remember his name now. The third round pick. Um, Deidrin. Yeah. Deidrin Sanat. Yeah. Yeah, and Bucks legend. Yeah, <laughs> they've missed on some edge guys who also would have kind of made Grady's life, you know, a bit easier. Tack McKinley, um, <laughs> and over T.J. Watt. Yeah, yeah, and I'm yeah, I'm sure T.J. Watt has been a lot of help. Um, but yeah, it, it's not for a lack of trying. It's just they they've been taking swings. They've just been whipping over and over again. So yeah, yeah. you know, hopefully, but that's the old regime. You know, hopefully, right. the regime is. Get, getting some hits where you know i just want a single i don't even need a home run just just give me a few singles. <laughs> need some singles we just need some w's even if they're lowercase w's i'll take them at a certain point but 
Yeah, um, let's round the bases with some. Yeah, people. yeah. We got to, you know, thanks for the baseball analogy. I know the Braves just clinched uh, the the division. So, you know, good for the Braves. Um, yeah. Uh, I think, like, you know, this is a good thing to talk about, too. I think people were fairly down on the 2021 draft class um, after, like, the rookie contributions weren't great outside of every, outside of anyone not really named, like, Kyle Pitts. Um, and, you know, we got some contributions from some of the later round picks, but I think after the first four games of this season, you feel a lot better about it because you're seeing Richie Grant look like one of the better young safeties that's coming up in the NFL. Like we hoped you're seeing Taquan Graham become a starter as a, as a mid day three pick. That's always nice to see. Um, and you know, guys are, we're getting contributions from Ogan Deji and, um, you know, I think you feel a little bit better about the way things are looking now uh, with, with that group, certainly. Not to mention the the contributions they're getting from the last crop of Dimitrov picks like Jalen Hawkins, Michael Walker. Um, you know, these guys look, look like they're rounding into form. The only one that doesn't seem to be getting any run at all is Jalen Mayfield. Um, maybe that's because he's on IR. But I yeah, suspect yeah, that's the reason, that's the reason I suspect maybe that he wouldn't uh, be getting much run if he was off IR. And I wonder if when he will return from IR this season. But um, yeah, really to me, the the defense has been very like erratic, I guess we'll say. Like we've seen them look like quite good, like shockingly good against the Saints for a lot of that game and then fall apart, give up a ton of yards. Um, but they, they do seem to tighten up, especially late, which is except for against the Saints. Uh, the other three games, they've sort of tightened up like late, especially in the fourth quarter, um, and just made enough plays to help the Falcons get the W, or in the case of the Rams, like make enough plays to make it where they had a chance to get the W at the end. Uh, and that's something I'm not really used to seeing with this unit. It's a welcome change for the Falcons not to be getting outscored, you know, 20-0 to zero in the fourth quarter every week, certainly. Um, but... You know, is it sustainable? Is it just good luck? Like that, I can't really answer. But um, Adnan, what do you think is the deal here? Why, why is the defense suddenly able to make these stops in the fourth quarter when all last season it felt like, outside of a handful of, of flashy performances, they were blowing these leads, and then the last couple of weeks they've managed to actually hold on? Uh, for for one, I think part of it is, you know, they're in year two under Dean Pease, Uh And Dean Pease talked about uh, how in year one, he couldn't really implement everything that he wanted to within his playbook. He said he had, what, 60-70% of, of what he actually, you know, of his actual defense implemented last year. It, was, it had to be very simple. Um, and, you know, the other thing is just great individual defensive plays. Um, you mentioned Richie Grant last year. He didn't really contribute very much. Didn't really play very much this season. He's looked like a top 10 safety in the NFL, like four weeks in. I, I know, I know I'm not saying he's a top 10 safety right now. That's, that's a bit premature, but he has made some incredible plays out there. Like I remember uh, this isn't in the fourth quarter, but what was it on that fourth and goal? early on uh, against the Browns last week, or, or was it maybe it, it might've been the third and goal, which forced the fourth and goal where he mm-hmm. got that stop on Nick, oh, that stop on Nick Chubb uh, yeah. at the goal line uh, on that play where they tried to run it to the right. 
Richie Grant came shooting in and just stopped him. Uh, you know, you're talking about guys like Darren Hall making that fumble, forced fumble against Cooper Cup against against the Rams and recovering it by himself. You know, Grady Jarrett's being Grady Jarrett, stepping up in a very timely fashion. Uh, and, you know, the defensive line is getting more pressure this season than, than it was last year. You know, we, we just went on a, a whole tangent about how how much better the defensive line in the front seven looks, and that's helping the secondary. You know, that, that pressure is helping uh, these guys in the secondary come up with those game-saving, game-closing picks. Um, so, you, you know, I think it's just a combination of uh, a lot more individual, you know, success, individual brilliance, and individual moments combined with, uh, you know, combi- I don't want to say better coaching, um, more so – uh, coaching where you know Dean Pease can sort of do more of what he wants to because these guys know uh, more of the playbook this season and you know just combined with having more of a pass rush presence you know that having a, a better pass rush can really mask a lot of flaws and you know this defense has you know plenty of flaws to it but you know it, it's not an imposing pass rush but if you're talking about this season versus last season, it's not a high bar to clear at all. Like the Falcons defense this year isn't amazing. Uh, they're the eighth worst scoring defense in the NFL this year. But, you know, they're making timely plays. Uh, individual playmakers are making plays that that are needed. And, you know, the pass rush just being a bit better than, than it was last season, it's it's become a recipe for success and, you know, just giving the defense a chance to close it out late in the game is giving us more of an opportunity to see it in this positive light because, you know, the offense gave them those leads against the Seahawks and the Browns. Uh, I don't think that they look great for the most part, but uh, in both of these games, but they, uh, they did manage to, you know, come away with, with the timely stops when it's needed. And and here we are seeing their praises as a result. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a pretty good explanation. Um, my thoughts are fairly similar on that. Uh, but I do want to give Aaron a chance to weigh in too. What do you think sort of is the key to the defense being able to tighten up and actually get some stops late in games? Do you think it's personnel, the scheme, you know, more years in the system, or is it just good old fashioned, good luck late in games? <laughs> Um, probably all of the above to, uh, to a certain extent. Um, but I, I think Adnan makes a great point. I, I think, you know, ultimately the thing that, that's easiest to fo- focus on, you know, it's like how much is coaching involved? How much of his good luck? Like those are kind of intangible things that it's, it's hard to sort of put your grasp on, but the thing that you can focus on is the execution, right? Like you go back to that week one game um against the saints and why the falcons collapsed in, in the fourth quarter is they didn't have good coverage on the back end right aj terrell uh, gave up a number of big plays to michael thomas jarvis landry beat uh casey hayward where he showed bad technique on that one 40-yard gain that sort of set up th- that final score and the falcons got no pressure in the fourth quarter after three quarters of getting steady pressure on on james winston in that game and then you sort of look back at the last couple of games and what have they done they've gotten much better coverage on the back end. A.J. Terrell has locked down D.K. Metcalf and Amari Cooper and taken away their number one wide receivers 
uh, the last two weeks is, is probably a big part of their success where in the fourth quarter when, you know, Jacoby Brissett and Geno Smith are driving, they want to throw the ball to DK Metcalf. They want to throw the ball to Mari Cooper and they can't. Um, and then you're you're talking about Grady Jarrett, you know, making plays, Lorenzo Carter making plays in the fourth quarter and getting that pressure that we did not get in week one. So I think, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, you just kind of look at the execution, whether it's, you know, better coaching, whether it's more familiarity in the system, whether it's benefiting from facing, you know, two unstellar quarterbacks the last couple of weeks, whatever you want to put it on. But I just think at the end of the day, you got to make the plays and the Falcons have done that the last couple of weeks, uh, which they didn't do in week one. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, we're seeing obviously the Lions defense isn't like great, but the Seahawks put, you know, 48 points on them. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people going into that game thought that the Falcons defense was like a pretty big liability. And, you know, to some extent, it's the bigger liability of the two sides of the football. But the Falcons held the Seahawks very much, you know, to a reasonable score, whereas the Lions absolutely got obliterated, you know, with a 48 point uh tsunami uh despite the lions putting up 45 points of their own so i mean i think there's something to the falcons defense probably being closer to like 20th 22nd as opposed to like low to like that bot it's probably more like below average than bottom four like it was last year and i think that's a pretty big step up for them um and we've seen They've been opportunistic. If that can continue, that obviously helps their chances of winning close games if you can steal a few possessions here and there. Um, And it's also like if they're going to try to cobble together a strategy of like winning with this dominant ground game and and grinding out these victories and limiting your opponent's possessions and that sort of thing, like obviously it would help to have a better defense, but if you're keeping your defense off the field with these long drives, um, that can help cover up some weaknesses there as well. So it just seems to me like there's a more coherent team strategy like all together. And a lot of that probably has to do with they have more of the players that they actually want. They're able to, you know, get out from some of the deals or some of the players that weren't necessarily this regime's choice. Um, They still didn't have a lot of money to play around with. They did have some draft picks obviously, but um, you know, I think we're starting to see a little bit of a clearer picture of what Arthur Smith sort of wants this team to be. It's not firing on all cylinders, which we'll sort of transition into talking to here in just a second with the offense. Certainly some parts of it are absolutely firing on all cylinders to even a shocking extent. Talking about the run game, um, passing game, very hit or miss in the last, uh, well, basically this week, it was extremely hit or miss. Um, And I know Aaron's got some Desmond Ritter takes that we're going to get to, Uh, but we got Ray Moon with the $5 before I forget. Uh, Asking about, okay, I know you guys hate Felipe Franks, but with Patterson and possibly Pitts out, do we see Arthur Smith actually use Franks uh, in this coming game, I believe is what Ray wanted to ask. So, uh, I mean, Franks has been active. I think he's always sort of been like, okay, this is the break glass in case of emergency Kyle Pitts replacement. Um, it may be that it's just Ferkser that comes in more. I don't know. But, I mean, it, yeah, the chance, like if Kyle Pitts, for whatever reason, doesn't play and certainly hope that he does, uh, it may be that, that Franks gets some work out there. Um, so it, it's possible. It's possible. What do you guys think about the possibility of us seeing Franks actually get some meaningful snaps uh, in week five? I'm all for it. Big time, yeah. You want him to take snaps at quarterback, though, right? <laughs> I want him to take snaps at every position. I want Felipe Franks all over the field. Just any time Felipe Franks, just smash that any time Felipe Franks touchdown. Um, Special teams, tight end, wide receiver, that, 
quarterback. I think the odds on that are Felipe Franks anytime touchdown. Will will (laughs) Felipe Franks in around the goal line to scavenge some of those Russian touchdowns? You know, as if the fantasy community doesn't hate Arthur Smith enough. You know, just (laughs) just go salt to the earth right now. Yeah, just put he's gonna put in Franks and just immediately throw a touchdown to Felipe Franks, and it's just gonna be like. I would love it. There would nothing would thrill me more if Felipe Frank scores a touchdown on American soil before (laughs) Kyle Pitts. (laughs) That would be the ultimate troll job. Um, So I do support that from that angle, certainly. I mean, as long as they win, I don't really care. Like, throw it to whoever's there. But, you know, also it would be nice. I don't have Kyle Pitts in any fantasy leagues, so it it doesn't bother me. I mean, I would obviously like to see him get thrown the football because he's very good. But, um, you know. (laughs) Uh, it doesn't hurt my fantasy team, at least. So I, I don't. I'm, I'm, you know, agnostic on that front. But this is a, a very. It, it, we, I want to continue to talk about the offense because the passing game very inconsistent. I figure we talk about the positives first, which is that the run game has been, I mean, awesome. Um, like just drastically better than I think even the rosiest predictions could have placed it this year. Um, this was the 31st running game in the NFL last year. They they did change out two starters on the offensive line. Um and Drew Dahlman, who was on the roster but was behind Matt Hennessy. And then they added Elijah Wilkinson and Colby Gossett when he had to play. They didn't miss a beat with him in there either. So um, you know, a couple of improvements in terms of switching out players. We've also seen Chris Lindstrom be like maybe the best guard in the NFL over the first four weeks. So that obviously is helping. And Caleb McGarry Island uh, coming in hot. Uh, he's looks like a pretty consistent starter, which has always been his issue was, can he, can he string together the good games without the bad ones? And so far, I think that he has, um, I'm going to save McGarry Island for, for Aaron, but Adna, what do you think the secret to the run game success is? Because maybe you could have said quarter Patterson, but when he left the game late, they continued to just run it down Cleveland's throat with Tyler Algier and Caleb Huntley. So what's sort of your thoughts on, on why that seems to be clicking so much better than it did last season? Uh, I have no fucking clue to be honest. <laughs> Black <laughs> magic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be, to be completely honest, this is just an inexplicable improvement. Like this was the 31st ranked uh, un- uh, rushing offense last year. Right now they're fourth in the NFL. They've had two separate games where they've had over 200 yards rushing. Um, and, you, you know, you, you can point to – and it's not even just, oh, yeah, you, you put in a, a scrambling quarterback, Marcus Mariota. Mariota had three rushing yards last last game on, on five carries. Um, it's been insane. I think PFF had that stat that the Falcons also lead the NFL in – in rushing yards before first contact, which is, you, you know, a full-on offensive line, group offensive line statistic and, you know, is much better indicative on, on the offensive line than, than you know, total rushing offense that I just referenced. But, yeah, I mean, they have more continuity uh, this season than, than they have last year, you know, some organic growth. Chris Lindstrom has been the best guard in the NFL, so that helps. But Chris Lindstrom was awesome last year as well. Uh, I think he's PFF's second highest graded off. Number one. Line. Yeah, he's number one guard, I think. And number, he's yeah. the number one guard. He's number two behind only Andrew Thomas, uh, you know, go dogs, who's also been <laughs> very awesome over over with the New York Giants this season. Um, 
So yeah, it's it's just been complete improvement all across the board. And you know, Drew Dahlman looks very good outside of you know some poor snaps here and there. But he's been an improvement over last year's version of of Matt Hennessy. And uh, you know, Jalen Mayfield is you know not there, which which helps just just addition by, addition by subtraction. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Elijah Wilkinson has looked good. You you mentioned when Colby Gossett went in there, he just did not miss a beat. Uh, you know, Caleb McGarry looks like he really wants that second contract, and you know he has had such a big improvement. But this often, it, this is just inexplicable. Uh, I know we're just four games in, and I know that the Cleveland Browns were are were missing most of their defensive line, but you know they were they were doing this against the New Orleans Saints, which was one of the best rushing defenses in, in the NFL last year as well. Um, yeah, o- overall, like you can point to a number of things, you know, from the continuity to the, uh, organic growth and organic improvement. But I, I would love to know, you know, the last time a team has gone from, you know, bottom three rushing to top five rushing over the course of one off season with such minimal off season, you know, additions and improvements that this team has had. It's, it's been absolutely insane to watch you, you know maybe there's some scheme stuff uh arthur smith has been you know cooking some stuff up um seeing seeing some of those runs it, it's it's been it, it's been a really nice you know zone heavy look some of the time um i saw i saw one play last game where you know drew dalman snapped it and he pulled himself and he he became the lead blocker on the left side uh, and, you know, he had a pancake block on that play. But, yeah, it doesn't matter who you put in there. You know, Caleb Huntley was, you know, killing it. Tyler Algier had, you know, uh, 8.4 yards per carry. I feel like behind the, this offensive line, the way it's going, I feel like one of us could get in there and get and get a few rushing yards, you know. Um, but, yeah, it, I don't know what's going on, but, you know, keep doing it. Yeah, I think they've just been nailing the run blocks. You know, I I think both Aaron and I took a look at some of these plays and there's just they were just hitting these blocks like and then they weren't doing that to any level of consistency last year. So I think that's a big part of it certainly, but Aaron, I know, you know, you need to take your victory lap at least after week 4 on on McGarry Island. Uh it seems like it's quickly rising up from like a two-star to a three-star. It might even be a four-star resort by the time the season's over. Yeah, yeah, I, I got to take this victory lap now because Nick Bosa's showing up in a couple of weeks. So <laughs> yep, yep, you know, I don't goes. know if I'll be able to take it after that. But <laughs> yeah, you know, McGarry Island, as you say, Kevin, you know, the big knock on him was always the inconsistency. You would get good games um, from him and then you would get very bad games from him. And obviously when it comes to offensive linemen, you know, most fans and most media only remember the bad games because otherwise, if you're playing well, you, you generally go unnoticed uh, by most people watching football. Um, and so, you know, I think McGarry and this group, it's it's been impressive. I know for me, a big reason why I was not optimistic about this team heading into the season, because I just couldn't fathom their running game being as effective as it needed to be in order for this offense to be as consistent. And as Adnan says, like going from like, I figured, OK, maybe they can get go from like bottom five, bottom three, whatever they were last year to like maybe. 20th or something like that like that to me seemed like the best case scenario for this run game and to be 
you know, again, a, a month into the season, but, you know, fourth best in the league is incredible and, and, and unfathomable, as, as Arthur said, uh, as Adnan says, it's inexplicable. And like trying to put your your finger on it, it's like, okay, yeah, McGarry's better. Obviously, Lindstrom is better. Um, you know, Dalman seems like he's an upgrade over Hennessy. Obviously, Elijah Wilkinson's an upgrade over um, Jalen Mayfield. He who, who should not be named. Yeah. Um, you know, Jake Matthews is playing better. He was terrible last year as a run blocker. He was great as a pass blocker, but he's terrible as a run blocker. He's not been outstanding this year, but he hasn't been like this liability like he was at times last year. You know, Parker Hesse is getting you value. Yeah. Kyle Pitts is a better blocker. The receivers are, you know, that size at the wide receiver position that everybody was hyping up, you know, I think brings some value as, you know, downfield blockers and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, Cordero Patterson played great in that week one game. He was just like running over Marcus May and Honey Badger and all those guys. So that's a contributing factor. But when you when you sort of talk about the black magic and the sorcery, like some credit's got to go to Dwayne Ledford, right? And I remember talking about this on Lockdown Falcons during the summer where I was like, okay, you know, I don't believe in this run game and, and this offensive line's potential. But if you are going to make a case for this for this offense and this run game working, your your case is basically hinging on Dwayne Ledford, the Falcons offensive line coach, living up to the billing as you know one of the top offensive line coaches in college football, and that translating to him basically being that in the NFL and and bringing that success. You know, he was kind of the Alex Gibbs of college football, and, and seems like maybe he could be the the next Alex Gibbs of of the NFL football. So I, it, it's inexplicable, but like. Some some of that credit has to go to Dwayne Ledford, I, I think, at this point in time to see this unit blocking as well as it has this season. And then again, I think some of it is the diversity to the run game that Arthur Smith is bringing from his play calling. I now mentioned that play where Dolman on the Avery Williams run, like they didn't run that play at all last year. And so they're they're doing a little bit more diverse things with the run game. So maybe that's helping things out and confusing defenses a little bit because they just last year they had like four run plays and they just ran that over and over again. Uh, even when it wasn't working. So, like, again, there's a lot of factors and a lot of variables, but I, I do think, you know, probably the biggest one may be Dwayne Lifford and his coaching. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I'm just imagining what uh, what Mike Davis is thinking, just seeing this right now. Like, you know, like, whoa, you guys couldn't have done this shit for me last year because <laughs> you know, Mike Davis would, would take a handoff and there would be two defenders in his face, like three yards, you know, in the backfield. Yeah. This is not his fault. I mean, I think we all knew Mike Davis was not necessarily a guy that was going to, like, create, but, like, if you could get it blocked up for him, he could carry a couple guys and do good stuff, and we just did nothing to help him whatsoever. Um, and, you know, I wonder, you know, we're going to see D Damian Williams probably somewhat soon. He could, He's eligible to return from IR as early as next week. Um, you know, and he's going to have to probably take on a bigger role with Cordero Patterson out, but it— it just seems like if your run blocking is good enough, and a lot of people have made this argument, right? If your run blocking is good enough, it doesn't matter to a certain extent who your running back is because as long as they're competent, you know, you can't just have any bomb at running back, but as long as they're competent, they understand the blocking scheme, they're well-suited for it, and they, you know, hit those holes uh, correctly and with power and, you know, that sort of thing, like, that, it's going to be just fine. Like, you're going to be able to run the ball effectively. Um, and we've seen now... Three. I mean, if you you could probably count Avery Williams as well, like because every time he gets a handoff, it seems like it's it's like a big run. Um, even though he hasn't gotten a lot of volume, uh, he certainly has averaged a very healthy uh, yards per attempt. Actually, leading the team 
with 9.3 yards per attempt on four carries. So, you know, maybe Avery Williams secretly the best running back of all, but no, I'm just kidding. But, um, you know, Caleb Huntley, Tyler Algier, uh, both over five yards per carry uh, at this point. You know, Huntley's had 11 carries. Algier, 26 carries. Both have shown that they're capable there. Uh, we saw Tyler Algier show off his receiving ability yards after catch. I mean, maybe the Falcons are just set. Like, they, if this run blocking can continue and the Bucks are certainly... I mean, I don't know. If statistically speaking, the Browns uh, were actually... I believe a better run defense than the Bucks are. Um, but also the Browns were missing Miles Garrett. So, you know, that's a huge loss. And Taven Bryan. And Taven Bryan. Mm-hmm. Bryan more of a pass rusher, but still, I mean, a starting defensive lineman and Anthony Walker wasn't in there. He missed most of the previous week as well. But the Bucks often known as a great run defense this year, about a little bit above average, uh, 12th in yards allowed, 14th in yards per attempt. Um, so certainly not a bad run defense, but not as dominant as they have been in years past. Um, their, their defense in general has been really good in, um, scoring and overall yards, but sort of, you know, average against the, the, the pass in terms of yardage. They've also, uh, only faced like the 27th, I think they're like 27th, uh, they face the 27th lowest pass attempts is what I'm trying to say. So they haven't been passed on a lot because they've been in a lot of close games. Um, but I think the Bucks defense gets a reputation for being really awesome, and I think they are very good. They're fifth in scoring defense, but um, maybe not as dominant as they have been in years past. We'll have to see if they get um, some of these players back from injury, like Akeem Hicks was out in week four. Um, but uh, that's going to be a tough matchup, certainly for this offense, and that brings me to, of course, the, the final thing we're going to talk about, which is the inconsistency of the Falcons passing game. Um, it was low volume in week three, but I think ultimately still effective. And I think in weeks one and two, it was better. Uh, this week against the Browns talked about it, uh, on the post game and on the, the film review. It's just a pretty, it was very inconsistent. Um, certainly there were a few missed calls. Like I think there were certainly, I think three plays where there's probably holding or defensive pass interference. Um, there were a handful of drops, but mostly I think it was just Marcus Mariota's least accurate performance. Um, and I think that this passing game is probably going to be somewhat limited with Mariota. I think we all sort of realize that. Um, but it does beg the question. A lot of people have already started calling for Desmond Ritter. Aaron, I know, you know, as the the president of the Please Start Desmond Ritter for any reason club. Uh, what do you, what do you think about Mariota's latest performance, and and what do you think the realistic timeline is for for Ritter? Well, you know, despite a lot of tweets that suggest <laughs> that uh, you know Desmond Ritter is you know already on the path to being a Hall of Famer, I, you know, I, I do understand the Falcons patience when it comes to playing him obviously the big concern going into the season was is he going to play behind a bad offensive line with no run game and no defense and the Falcons have checked you know at least two out of those boxes and and certainly in the fourth quarter have checked the defensive box Uh, and so the idea that he would not get help and be thrown to the wolves doesn't truly exist and that's I think led a lot of people to feel like okay why aren't we playing Ritter um, and I, I, I get that. I, I do think you can make a pretty easy argument based off of how Mario has played 
these first four games that the Falcons offense and their passing game could be better with Desmond Ritter using sort of what he did in the preseason and operating uh, a pretty precise uh, in throwing within rhythm play action passing game and being able to run some more under center stuff. And you've seen various places like ESPN talk about the value of, of running play action under from under center and how that's more advantageous than doing it in the shotgun. Like the Falcons have done quite a bit with Mariota. Um, but, you know, I think when it comes to Mariota, we, we saw flashes of what Mariota kind of brings to the table in the Browns game. Obviously you didn't see the consistency you, you want to see, but like, the value of Mariota is, is never going to be he's going to be the type of quarterback that is going to drop back 30 times and, and throw for 250 yards or anything like that. Like, that's not really his style of game. What he's going to bring to the table is sort of those off-structure plays. And you saw that with that big play to Parker Hesse in the first quarter. You saw that uh, with that big play in the fourth quarter to Alameda Zacchaeus. He wasn't able to quite hit some of those throws to Kyle Pitts and and Drake London at various points when he can kind of break outside the pocket and and buy his receivers more time to break open uh, down the field and, and generate some of those explosive plays. So, like, if the Falcons can start hitting some of those more consistently, um, then I think you can start to see the, the positive side of what Mariota brings to the table. But I, I certainly think, given his performance and, and sort of the inconsistency that he has shown, you're, you're going to continue to hear people call for for Desmond Ritter, and especially if the Falcons in this upcoming slate of games where they're facing some better defenses like Tampa Bay, and if those defenses live up to those expectations and can slow down this run game and force the Falcons to play more left-handed and, and basically those teams are going to want Mariota to go out there and beat them. And if he doesn't show he's capable of doing that, then I think the calls for Desmond Ritter are only going to get louder as the month of October progresses. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that that description and um you know I, I know everyone as soon as you draft a quarterback right there's always going to be the legion that decides like okay like we're going to call for this quarterback at the first possible opportunity and I think Marietta deserves credit for like his first two games and I think he's had a, a series of shakier outings with this one being the only one I consider to be like bad um and I think he needs patience he deserves like more opportunities but you know to me it's like it you can't sort of shake the feeling that there's maybe some training wheels on this passing offense and it, it, it's and you know you could also make the argument that Desmond Ritter would certainly have training wheels on his version of this offense because he is a rookie coming into the NFL for the first time so I don't think it's like Ritter might offer you more as a passer but to think that they're going to suddenly be able to explode into this huge playbook with a rookie quarterback just because his arm is probably a little bit better and um, I think he sees the field better than Mariota. I think that's been one of my biggest pet peeves with Mariota is that he really excels in like chaos. Like you've seen him with these bad snaps or with blitzes in his face. Like he can get the ball out. He can pick up that snap, get rid of it. He can avoid these catastrophic plays, except when he loses the fumbles, of course. Um, luckily we haven't had too many of those uh, in recent weeks, but he doesn't really see the field super well, I think. I think there's been a lot of times where you've seen that, you know, if he'd gotten to the other, if he'd gotten to read the whole field, he would have seen, oh, this guy's open or this is a better throw. There's been some, you know, forcing to to Drake London, which Drake London's very good, so I don't blame you. Um, as fantasy folks will point out, there hasn't been a lot of forcing to Kyle Pitts that, they pro- that they'd probably prefer. Um, 
but I do think that Mariota offers you stuff that's important, right? Especially for this type of offense with his ability to threaten the run. I do wonder if we see more of that. I think they sort of like, after week one and two, they're like, Mariota, you got to calm down. You're going to get yourself killed, like running like that. Like, please just slide. And, you know, maybe, maybe like you cut back on that a little bit. And then the last two games, it's been almost non-existent. Mariota's running. It's just been for a few yards here and there. It's very much been a secondary tertiary part of his game, even though he still threatens that. I do wonder if they will try to take advantage of his running ability a little bit more, especially at, to help, you know, enhance the running game. But they just need, they haven't been able to hit those deep passes with any consistency. And it's been open. Um, and I think that's like the next, that's when this Arthur Smith offense becomes what it's meant to be, right? We've seen it in Tennessee with Tannehill when they're able to hit these explosive plays off play action with the running game humming, it becomes just really difficult to stop because you want, you know, that on any play first and 10 second and one doesn't matter. Like they could dial up a deep shot to Kyle Pitts or Drake London or, or Demir bird who showed off his speed on that play. Like they could just dial it up. So like, if you, if you sell out to stop the run game, which is going to be the, you know, what's going to be coming your way on a high number of plays, you're going to, leave somebody one-on-one in that deep passing game. And the Falcons haven't been able to take advantage of that yet. I think that's sort of the next step. I don't know if they'll be able to really do that with Marcus Mariota on a consistent basis. I think he's shown that he can hit those plays sometimes. Just hasn't been at a, at a rate that you probably want. Maybe Ritter offers you more of that, but as a rookie, I would hesitate to sort of assume that just because he might be a better passer that he's going to just instantly elevate this offense. I think he brings some things to the table that Mariota doesn't. And Mariota, of course, brings other things. Um, but it's it's complicated, certainly. Um, and, and we'll get, you know, I wouldn't even think that they would consider starting Ritter until the end of this brutal three-game stretch that we talked about. Like, I don't think you throw him in there against the Bucks. I don't think you throw him in there against the 49ers and their number one defense. And you probably don't throw him in there against the Bengals who have a really good defense either. Week eight is probably the earliest possible time. And that's probably only if Mariota absolutely like bombs, which obviously we hope that doesn't happen um, because I think we all would like to see the Falcons play good football uh, as much as possible. Not me. Yeah. Aaron's the hater. So that's, (laughs) I forgot Aaron was here for a second. So yeah. Um, But I mean, ultimately, like, no one's no one's rooting for Mario to bomb. Um, so maybe some people on Twitter are. Uh, but, it, but yeah, Adnan, what do you think about the whole quarterback situation? Um, you know, when do you think that potential change is the earliest possible time you could see it happening? Well, I, I think it'll happen at some point this season. Uh, you know, Mark's Mariota, uh, he... He does a, a good job of what's, you know, asked of him for the most part. But, you know, he definitely caps the the ceiling of this offense a little bit. Uh, you know, we've seen it this season. He makes a – he's a one-to-two read type player. Um, and, you know, he'll, ma- he'll make his mistakes here and there. I, I think last game he threw that interception and it felt almost felt like Arthur Smith was like, all right, this is enough. You know, we're – you know what we're gonna you know run the piss out of the ball like like he said on the mic job uh and you know that pick came after a string of incompletions if i remember correctly but you know i definitely don't think that they will and i don't think that you want them to put ritter in against the the tampa bay buccaneers 
or especially against the San Francisco 49ers. Like, you know, do you really want his first game to be against Nick Bosa and, you know, that Niners team that just made the Rams look like a joke on, on national television? Um, or the defending AFC champion Bengals? I think the earliest possible time period will be, you know, that game against the Panthers possibly, and that's if Mariota, you know, struggles, if he plays the way that he did in this past game. Um, I think as soon as, I think when they do re- see or when the coaching staff feels that they have a better chance of winning with Ritter, they'll insert him over Mariota. But I do think it plays into part of, you know, you don't want him to start against, you know, some of these brutal defenses. Um, my original guess uh, at the very beginning of the season was uh, that first his first game will be against the Bears. And the reason for that was because, you know, the team doesn't have a buy until very late in the season. And they have that sort of mini buy that the 10 day break between the Panthers game and the Bears game. I think I'm I'm at the point where, you know, it, it'll I'm leaning toward it being a bit earlier uh, at this point. Um, but I certainly think that, you know, rounding it out uh down the stretch of the season we'll we'll see Desmond Erder and we'll see what Desmond Erder has uh and you know those calls are getting louder and louder and you know it's not helping that over in Pittsburgh they they made their switch they they pulled Mitchell Trubisky for Kenny Pickett and you know he has a pretty brutal you know first test against the Buffalo Bills um in his first ever NFL career start I will see how it goes for him. I I would not want Ritter in that situation right away. Um, you know, will he'll he'll get his opportunity, but there's no need to make to make this harder than than it needs to be, and it's already hard enough being a rookie yeah. quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, and like I think there's no need to force him on the field either. Um, you know, you got the Bucks. You got the 49ers, you got the Bengals, we talked about that. But then there's this stretch before the bye of these six games where if if the team if the team weathers that three-game stretch, like if they could steal one win out of those three games, I think we'd all be pretty happy with that. Um, you know, and I don't, I don't think it would necessarily crush their playoff hopes if they were to lose all three, but it would definitely put them behind the eight ball. Um, but again, after those three games, you got the Carolina Panthers, you got the Chargers, you got the Carolina Panthers again. You got the Bears, you got the Commanders, and you got the Steelers. Now, like, the Chargers, I think, are certainly a team that is capable of beating anyone and also losing to anyone. So, you know, they're probably the most difficult of all the players, on of all the teams on that list. But the Panthers are just god-awful. Um, the Commanders are just god-awful. The Bears are okay to, to bad, and the Steelers, maybe by that time, Kenny Pickett will have things humming there, and that's a better team. Um, you know, maybe TJ Watt will be back. That could make that a much harder game, but... I think you could feasibly go four and two in that stretch if this team continues to to fire, you know, on all cylinders, um, and that would mean that they would actually go into the bye with a winning record, right? Uh, they would be six and five. Oh wait, no, I guess they wouldn't have a winning record. They would six what? and seven. Six, six and seven. seven. So they'd have a slight losing record, but it would be very close. But then they'll um, beat the Saints after the bye. Yeah, yeah. yeah there you go. So <laughs> that that's seven. what I was thinking of. Yeah. So. Um, so yeah, I mean, there, I think 
I think that they have a chance in that six game stretch. If they're going to make it, they're going to clean up in that stretch. Like they're going to have to really maximize winning there because after the bye, you got, you have to go to new Orleans, which is always going to be a really tough out. You're going to, I mean, the saints maybe aren't that great, but it's still in new Orleans. It's a tough game. You got the Ravens on the road. Probably would be wise to expect no. to lose that game. Um, but you do have the Cardinals who, you know, as you know, in December are like one of the NFL's worst teams. And then you get one last shot at Tom Brady. So, you know, maybe we can finally knock him, knock him off his horse there. But, um, you know, that at two and two, they're, they're certainly in the conversation, especially in this NFC. Like there's, there's a non-zero chance that eight, eight and nine gets you into the playoffs in this NFC. So, um, I wouldn't say it's particularly likely, but I mean, it's not, I mean, I've crazier things have happened with that seventh seed. So, um, We'll see, certainly, how that goes. Um, but uh, difficult stretch coming, guys. Uh, we, I, I'm glad they took advantage of, of, these, of this little weaker group of opponents here, but um, we're going to really see how this team handles uh, some good opponents over the next three I'm weeks. Just wait until they go 3-0 over these. There you go. Then you can. Then I'll officially say you guys can light the playoff banners. Uh, you can start, you know, getting hyped if they if they go three and zero over this stretch. Then I think pretty much everyone in the NFL media will be buzzing about the Falcons if they somehow pull off that miracle. So I, I see George in the chat is already saying we're, we're going to the Super Bowl. Oh, um, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, by by the way, George, let, let me out. Did you ever place that bet on the Eagles? <laughs> it's looking pretty good now. Well, it's uh, looking like a hell of a bet right now. Yeah, a thousand dollars before the season started. I, I don't know what odds, like you know, you might have, might have gotten on that, but the Eagles look like the best team in the, in the NFC right now. Yeah, yeah. Part of that is the NFC looking like total shit, but you know, <laughs> got to take them uh, as they come. Yep, got to take them as they come. Um, we did have one question come in from DJ Stud, nineteen eighty seven. Very nice name. Thank you. Uh, for the $5 DJ, he says, if we are in the hunt for the playoffs in November, December, do you guys see a signing an impact free agent? Like, per, like perhaps a, uh, Sue to bolster the D line or any other position of need. I mean, if they can trade Dion Jones, they'll have some money. So it's possible. Um, I think the big thing is like the Falcons need to be in it. Like if they're clearly in it or if they're like leading the South somehow or something like that and looking like this is a team that's actually potentially going to be able to do something, then they might get interest from some of those free agents like Sue. I think right now Sue's not picking up the phone of the Falcons call. He's like, yeah, no, thanks. Um, but it, that could change. Right. Um, but what do you guys think about that? Do you think that they could consider a, a big addition if they look like they're seriously competing for the playoffs? Well, they just made one with Jaleel Johnson. There you, there you go. I'm sorry. I should, I knew I should have known not to slander my own man and, and Jaleel Johnson. So, <laughs> I don't even know who's still out there, to be honest. Um, I'm sure there's some people. But. Well, I mean, you, you kind of have to think, like, going back to what Adnan said, like, they, they kind of have to do some stuff over this next three-game stretch, right? To Because the trade deadline's at the end of the month. Yeah. And so if you're going to make a move, you know, we do have a player, at least a player that we could shop. So, you know, that, that can create some opportunity there. So, you know... Yeah, if 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 we come out of this three game stretch two and one or, or three and zero oh possibly, then yeah, I certainly think m- big moves may be on the horizon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think um, just looking to look here and see if there's anything potentially interesting. Um, 
there's Linval Joseph still kicking. I don't know if he wants to play. That's the only thing that would lead me to question that because I think he's someone the Falcons probably would have called if they were looking to replace Eddie Goldman. I would think he's he's like Eddie Goldman that's bigger and also like six five years older or something like that. So you know it. You're, he's more of a one-year rental type, but I think he had still had a pretty decent season last year. Um, you know, Sheldon yeah. Richardson, perhaps. You no, know Ryan Pace could make a move for Robert Quinn or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I mean, I I don't even care. Like trade away next year's first. Just get us some. Get us an edge one. Like I mean, depending on how they're playing, like they may not be in range for Will Anderson or any of these top edge rushers anyway. So yeah, I mean, no, if Robert it takes. Quinn. Robert Quinn had more sacks than the entire Falcons team last year. Yep. So, you know, I wouldn't hate it. I wouldn't hate it. Um, yeah, um, unfortunately, Tack, Tack McKinley already signed, so we can't bring him back. Oh, no. What's Jonathan Babineau up to these days? <laughs> right. I need to make a call. So <laughs> I'll see what I can do. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron. Uh, thank you, Aaron. I know you're the one we can trust there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it. you know, we'll see. Um if it, you know, we'll see if they if they're in that position. I think it's possible they could certainly, but I think at this point, um, they're gonna wait and see what happens. Uh, and you know, if they're looking really good, then maybe someone like Sue, if he's still out there, is like you know, actually, I would I I would consider signing with the Falcons if it's like late in the season and he still hasn't been picked up. You know, maybe maybe he would consider a little you know payback with the Buccaneers. Uh, you know, they they didn't resign him, right? So. We could we could offer that. I mean, probably we'll only be able to offer him one game against the Buccaneers at that point. But um, unless he's going to be here in the next you know couple days, uh, seems unlikely to say the least. So we get that one revenge game narrative going. But um, yeah, uh, interesting times for the Falcons. Like we like I said, three tough games coming up, then a winnable stretch. So if they do end up going zero and three. We're probably not going to be panicking. It won't be fun to endure that, but I don't think it's really going to change our my perception of the team unless they get like blown out every week or something. But um, if they could steal one of those next three, that would be nice. I don't know. It doesn't matter to me which one. I mean, obviously the Bucks one would be the best one to steal because it's your division. But um, you know, I, I I'll take any of them to be honest, and and I would be pretty satisfied with that. And even zero and three wouldn't be that shocking or or upsetting. Um, just because it's a really tough. Stretch. I will say I was pleasantly surprised just by how much the Benz was popping this past game. Uh, you know, uh, it looked very lively. It was very loud. And I can only imagine that if they do steal this game in Tampa Bay next week, uh, this coming week, actually, uh, which I'm not picking them to beat the Buccaneers, but, you know, crazier things have happened. Well, maybe. Uh, yes. yes. Well, the Falcons have never beaten Tom Brady. But this would be the week. You know, Tom Brady has some personal shit going on right about now. Um, so I can only imagine just how insane and rocking Mercedes-Benz will be for that 49ers game. You know, uh, they'll have – that'll be the red helmet game. Uh, they'll be at 3-2, at and two, first time about 500 since 2017. Um, and, yeah, the fan base will absolutely just be all in. Uh, and it'll be, it'll be a raucous crowd against – a very good team and you know against Kyle Shanahan you know the team's old nemesis um so yeah you know let's expect the worst hope for the best and yeah crazier things have happened uh you know maybe yeah. we pull it out against Tampa Bay <laughs> I think that would be really funny for like from the NFL chaos angle certainly that would be the best 
outcome because everyone would be like, oh my God, I can't believe the Falcons are leading the NFC South. What, that would be like the biggest topic on like every morning show, like after week five, like somehow the Falcons are like leading the NFC South and in the playoffs Peter right Schreger's now. already calling us the yep. Bengals of, of last season. You know, little, little premature probably before this stretch. Uh, but, you know, I, I mean, I won't ever, you know, be upset with anyone praising the Falcons, certainly. All right. Got a last minute donation here from George Costanza with the $1. Brave swept the Mets and clinched. We are going to the World Series, folks. Falcons also going to be winning the Super Bowl. I think we're going two and one over the next three. Brady is stressed from the divorce. Ah, oh, Don, let's get that hype train started. So okay, I'm I'm <laughs> gladly getting the hype train started for the Braves. I think the Braves can absolutely repeat. You know, uh, the Braves have the Braves have that shit. Um, I'm not I'm not starting the hype train over the Falcons being two and two. For the record, I picked the Falcons to be two and two in my five and twelve prediction. It just feels really, really good in the moment. Uh, let's see what they do over the next three games. But, you know, personally, I objectively, I don't think I'd pick the Falcons in any of those next three games. Um, yeah, crazier things have happened. I, I hope I'm wrong. Um, and you know what, George? If 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 the Falcons go three and zero, I will. Uh, I will make a commitment to you to start that uh, hype train and to have it fully rolling. Uh, after those three weeks, and you know, you know, my word is good because I had a pickle juice slushy on on. That's Aaron. true. He did. Um, he did. I think Aaron. Aaron I think Aaron out. avoided the pickle juice slushy. Actually, so. I'm just now realizing that. <laughs> Aaron got out of it. Uh, we did it on the next show, and he he wasn't back on here. So, very deft maneuvering from from Aaron there, even though he had no idea probably. Uh, <laughs> but you know, we're still gonna we're still gonna bury you. Sorry, um, <laughs> for the bit for the bit. Uh, yeah, guys. Uh, Really appreciate. Oh, we got one more. Okay, George. George sneaking it in here before the buzzer. I, I, I will accept. I will accept that, George. Thank you. Uh, with the three dollars, says <laughs> there was no. Oh, there was no way to place his bet. He was gonna bet a thousand dollars on the Eagles to win the Super Bowl. It was like plus ten thousand at the time. Um, oh. there was no way to place it when he lived in Texas. Can't risk defrauding the government or Vegas. <laughs> Can't risk my career for that chance of a bet. You know. Yeah. Uh, totally understandable. The government uh, always wins at the end of the day. But yeah. uh, yeah. Because um, I was waiting for you to test the limits of the donation system at, with that victory. So, uh, but you know, we'll just have to do that next year. That's fine. If it makes uh, I, can, I, I still don't think the Eagles will win at all. So, you know, I, I think you still saved some money. Um, yeah, I think this is the Bills' year. Yeah, this could be for Buffalo. They just got to get healthy now. That secondary has just been ravaged. Uh, didn't they lose? I think both safeties at least for a little while. I think Poyer's back now. Poyer had yeah. a big kick last yeah, game. Yeah. Uh, but Hyde, um, I think, is out for m- most of the season, if not the whole season or longer. So um, certainly hope he gets healthy soon. But yeah, guys, uh, thank you all so much for hanging out. Uh, please do like and subscribe if you haven't done so already. Those metrics really help us out. If you're interested in supporting the show, you can do so on Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash Live. You can sign up, uh, help us out, get early access to all the podcast episodes, including the audio version of this episode uh we'll also be having i believe our q a is going to be next monday still checking in with dave Choate, the boss man himself to figure out when he can do it um it, probably monday maybe tuesday I'll, I'll keep you guys posted on that one 
Uh, but that'll be coming soon. Also, another exclusive patron benefit. So if you want to get in on that, ask ask as many questions as you want. You know, get the scoop behind that the hashtag Dave Meat bit. You know, maybe some of you are still figure, trying to figure out what that means. And you know, to be honest, we're all trying to, you know, trying to figure out what that means. But Honestly, I still don't know. Yeah, what that means I don't know either. But it's it's provocative. You know, it gets the people gets the going. People talking. Yeah, it gets the people going. Um, but uh, first of all, I want to thank Aaron Freeman at Falk Fans, host of the Locked On Falcons podcast, and. Wonderful contributor over at the mother site, thefalcoholic.com. Aaron, thanks for coming on. Anything else you'd like to plug? Uh, people jump over to Locked on Falcons on YouTube right now. The, uh, there should be an episode premiering, previewing this week five matchup with Locked on Bucks for crossover Thursday. Uh, that will be on deck as well. And then uh, later in the week, we'll be joined by Jarvis Davis of Locked on Sports Atlanta to get the keys to victory and how the Falcons can finally get their Tom Brady revenge this weekend. Uh, that will, you know, this is, this is the time where the bucks and Tom Brady look the most vulnerable they can be. So if they can get that uh, first W against Tom Brady. It would be much, much appreciated. Yeah. Yeah. I, we only probably got two chances left. Um, so I think we should not take our chances at all and just get that W here and make sure we, we can get at least one dub against Maybe Tom Brady. three chances. You, oh. never know. you never know. That's true. You know, maybe the Falcons meet them in the NFC Championship game. I would love, though, if Desmond Ritter is starting, his first start is week 18, and <laughs> that's Tom Brady's last start, and his first start is beating Tom Brady. That he like, will. No one else could do it, like, the entire, you know, time. And then put just him in the Ritter ring of comes, honor. Yeah, of no, he would start. just immediately be in the Hall of Fame for, for yeah. the Falcons. Just He doesn't have to do anything else. He can actually just retire at that point now. No, please don't, but <laughs> we, we still need you. But, uh, yeah, uh, looking forward to it. Also with us tonight, as you guys have seen, Adnan Ikic at Say Which Way, co-host of this spectacular program and another long-term contributor over at thefalcoholic.com. Adnan, anything that you're working on you'd like to let the people know about? Uh, you know, a series history going over the series uh, Falcon series history against the Bucks. Right now, the Bucks are leading it twenty nine to twenty eight. Um, overall, they've won four in a row since Tom Brady got there. So it would be great for the Falcons to tie that up uh, this weekend and to, you know, maybe even take the lead in, in, in Week eighteen, retake the lead. Um, you know, I'll have what if the Falcons win slash what if they lose uh, going on on Sunday on game day, and I have fantasy stud and dud. Uh, going on, I think, I think Dave pushes that out on Tuesdays now. It used to be on Mondays. Um, but yeah, definitely just uh, check out the site. Uh, check out the uh, thefalcoholic.com for all of your, you know, uh, Falcons needs. And, you know, a big, a big thank you to all the viewers, uh, all of our regulars uh, who are, you know, constantly in here, constantly with us throughout the season. I love seeing all the familiar names in the chat and finally you know let's go braves you know it's uh, uh let, let's go repeat and let's go have another parade in atlanta uh this this next month in november yeah get a parade uh in atlanta and then get another parade in atlanta after the super bowl win um we're owed one from 2016 uh so we, you know we need to get cash that in uh you know at any time really would be good falcons thank you um yeah, guys, again, thank you all so much for tuning in. I'm Kevin Knight at Falcoholic. Kevin, check out all my stuff on thefalcoholic.com. We'll have our game preview show with Alan Sterk and a special Bucks guest. That'll be out on Friday morning. 
Uh, and then we will have this game coming on Sunday. Uh, tough game. There's a decent chance, of course, it's a divisional game. The Falcons could pull out pull out something. Um, going to need a big contribution from the ground game once again. Uh, but uh, it, it's possible. It's possible. So, uh, again, guys, thank you so much for tuning in with us tonight uh, for myself, for Adnan, and for our special guest, Aaron Freeman. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll see you next time on the Falcoholic Live. Have a great night, folks.